It's great to be able to preach again from our series, Courageous Living, from Daniel. And this is from chapter 6, as you've, uh, we're going to be hear, heard read throughout the sermon, the message. And uh, my message this morning, today, comes under the banner of the title, Courageous Living, When You Stand Out. I'm sure you've heard of the Salvation Army and uh, its founder, William Booth, when they were establishing their ministry and responding to the call of God and caring for the very least and the last and the marginalised of British society, they were attacked by religious leaders and from government leaders alike. They were acting prophetically, saying, the Lord God cares for the poor and the desperate. When his son, William Booth's son, Branwell, showed his dad, a newspaper article with attacking words. His reply to his son was this. Fifty years hence, it will matter very little indeed how these people treated us. It will matter a great deal how we dealt with the work of God. And herein lies the nub of the issue. We sometimes equate Christ-likeness of living a holy life, of being faithful in obedience and Christian witness, would result in us being likeable and appreciated and celebrated, perhaps. But in the story of Daniel, and indeed echoed, mirrored, that Daniel is the, the kind of echo of the story of Jesus, we see that actually in walking the godly, holy, righteous, life-bringing, fulfilling, life-transforming, powerful ways of God does the exact opposite. People turn and dislike and hate and persecute. Daniel, in this story, in part one, in, in verses one to nine, had enemies who plotted his death. Shouldn't surprise us. Paul wrote to his young disciple, the one who was mentoring, who was a godly leader in himself, in 2 Timothy 3.12. Everyone who wants to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. Everyone. So in this, in this chapter, chapter 6, the lion's den, famous, well-known, the top officials of King Darius seek to trap Daniel. Who is Darius the Mede? He's, he, uh, in chapter 6, um, we find there's a new ruler. He was appointing 120 satraps, kingdom protectors, to rule throughout the kingdom. And Daniel is in a position of leadership, as he has been for much of his life. He's an old man now, about 80 years old. And Darius was said to have taken over the kingdom from Belshazzar. We heard about him last week at the age of 62. So Darius appointed 120 leaders, satraps, administrators, who would work with him. And one of those was Daniel. Let's hear the story. It pleased Darius to appoint 120 satraps to rule over the kingdom with three administrators over them. One of them was Daniel. The satraps were made accountable to them so that the king might not suffer loss. Now Daniel so distinguished himself among the administrators and the satraps by his 
excellent qualities. That the king planned to set him over the whole kingdom. At this, the administrators and the satraps tried to find charges against Daniel in his conduct of government affairs, but they were unable to do so. They could find no corruption in him because he was trustworthy and neither corrupt nor negligent. Finally, these men said, we will never find any basis for charges against this man Daniel unless unless it has something to do with the law of his God. So these administrators and satraps went as a group to the king and said, may King Darius live forever. The royal administrators, prefects, satraps, advisors and governors have all agreed that the king should issue an edict and enforce the decree that anyone who praised any god or human being during the next 30 days, except to you, your majesty, shall be thrown into the lion's den. Now, your majesty, issue the decree and put it in writing so that it cannot be altered in accordance with the law of the Medes and Persians, which cannot be repealed. So King Darius put the decree in writing. So we see Daniel being faithful, he's godly, he wasn't negligent in any way of corrupt in any fashion. He was a great, good governor. And yet, among those who co-ruled, those who were alongside him, they sought to undermine him. Professional jealousy. They wanted to find a way to bring him down. It seems that Daniel was well respected. He was able to address the king and the kings that he had served previously with wisdom and tact and was able to bring blessing not only to the individual, to Nebuchadnezzar and others, but also for the good of all people. We've seen that he was a capable person he got things done and was recognized. He was promoted for his achievements. But still the jealousy. Still the sense that Daniel, as someone from Jerusalem, was an outsider. And people started gunning for him. Opposition, when we expect praise. Courageous living when we stand out. Though the satraps and rulers had professional jealousy, what was behind that? What do you think stirs and motivates that pride, possibly, of, of envy, of wanting to have the acclaim and the reputation, or being made to look good because Daniel was so shining? Whatever the reason, they went for him. But it's worth just remembering that behind that, there is something else going on, a spiritual battle. Of this call to live a godly life in this expecting persecution. Our, our struggle isn't against um, flesh and blood, but actually principalities and powers. One of the things Daniel 
gives us sight and will go on to see is that there is much more beyond the physical, much more that, than that which we can kind of grasp or see or understand. They go for his faith. Open Doors has helped us along the way to, to recognise that always there is a usurper. There is one who will stand against, will pursue to persecute those who stand for God. And in Daniel's story, they go for the thing of worship. That they couldn't find anything in his character, in his integrity, to get a charge to stick. But they went for worship. You see, Daniel was devoted to God. That God had priority, first place in his life. Someone said, if you're vulnerable to criticism, stay away from doing something significant. Just be a nice person. Go with the flow. Stick to what everyone else is doing. Don't try and cut new ground. But if you do something significant, you will undoubtedly be criticised for it. Sometimes uh, opposition comes to us from good people who can't understand what or why we are doing it. Again, the Salvation Army has an exciting history of service and evangelism among the poor and the needy. I referenced uh, William Booth just a few uh, moments ago. Yet the Earl of, of Shaftesbury, who was a great defender of the poor, once announced that after much study, he was convinced that the Salvation Army was clearly antichrist. Criticism hurts, especially if you've gone out of your way to serve God and prioritize him and his kingdom. It cuts deeply when we're falsely accused. It hurts when you're the object of criticism that actually is the very thing that you're striving for. Just a simple word, don't be disillusioned. We don't work really for praise and acclaim of human beings, but for the audience of one, for our Father in heaven in the name of Jesus by the power of the Spirit. And indeed, following him, as Daniel's example shows, includes being loving and respectful of all people. Criticism can really hurt. In 21 years, uh, I was ordained in 1999, and along the way, some of the hardest things actually in ministry, there's been some very difficult pastoral situations, some tragedies and losses. But as I look back, some of the hardest things have been actually from attack from within. Not been so much in my 21 years of being called to do this, that it's been about the opponent from, without, from outside, those who have, have targeted the Christian community. Some of the hardest things have been from within. When I was ordained, uh, the principal of Spurgeon's, Michael Quick, uh, preached from John 21, and it was about being called by Jesus and do you love me to, to the question Jesus asked to John. But it talks about how uh, Jesus commissions those who lead to tend the flock, feed my sheep, feed my sheep, look after my sheep. And uh, he kind of made the point in that, that, that sheep bite. Don't be unaware of sheep bites. 
And everyone laughed and thought, yeah, yeah, the picture of sheep biting. But he said, sheep bites hurt. They do. Particularly at this time, particularly in this era where we can't meet, particularly where we are living in this kind of climate of what's going to happen and, uh, and the oppression that, that COVID and, and the regulation and worry about the very important things of life are happening. It's easy to turn in and it's easy to turn upon each other. Criticism hurts. But the example of Daniel is really helpful to me and I hope to us. Remain blameless before the world. Darius is picked up in, and told that, that, that he'd heard that Daniel had the, the very kind of spirit of the living gods in him. He was a trusted advisor in the defeated kingdom and yet he was, he was brought in to, uh, to lead in, the, in his new government as Darius took the reins and the authority of, of king. Even though Daniel was 80, he was a man of respect and integrity. And as such, because he did so well, he was risen and raised to the position probably of something like a prime minister because of his character and his experience. One of today's tragedies, it seems, in the political arena is those that are put in high office seem, and I don't want to point the finger or be unduly critical, and I know I filter this through the media, I've not met these people personally, but it seems character isn't top of the list of what is looked for in our leaders. John Calvin, a theologian of a few centuries ago, said this, integrity is the best of all protectors. We cannot be more secure than when fortified by good conscience. In this world, the world is progressively destroyed by corruption. I just wonder what force would be brought to bear if thousands of Christians were known to be and exhibited honesty, courage, and ruling well for the benefit of those who are less fortunate. What a difference to poverty and climate change and the lack of education and basic health care, or even within our own orbit of sphere and influence. Paul's advice is this in, in Ephesians 5, be very careful then how you live, not as unwise, but wise, making the most of every opportunity for God. The satraps and administrators couldn't find fault with Daniel. He was blameless. Wow. So they went for the one area that he was weak, in their view. His loyalty and solidarity and faith in the living God. They chose prayer. Again and again, when God's people are assailed and persecuted, so often goes to the heart of the matter of worship, of where does our loyalty lie, of, of what is key and unmovable and central and non-compromisable, if that's not a long phrase. It's the key areas of faith. Will you stand with and trust and read the scriptures? Can we get you to compromise and water down and cease to pray? What about witness? You must not speak of Jesus the Lord. You can have private faith, just faith on your own. Just don't share it in any way. How dare you? And often 
the ability to gather. They went as a group to the king and said, no one for 30 days should pray to any god or human being except to you. Now when Daniel learned that the decree had been published, he went home to his upstairs room where the windows opened towards Jerusalem. Three times a day, he got down on his knees and prayed, giving thanks to his God, just as he had done before. Then these men went as a group and found Daniel praying and asking God for help. So they went to the king and spoke to him about his royal decree. Did you not publish a decree that during the next 30 days, anyone who prays to any god or human being except to you, your majesty, would be thrown into the lion's den? The king answered, the decree stands in accordance with the law of the Medes and Persians, which cannot be repealed. Then they said to the king, Daniel, who is one of the exiles from Judah, pays no attention to you, your majesty, or to the decree you put in writing. He still prays three times a day. When the king heard this, he was greatly distressed. He was determined to rescue Daniel and made every effort until sundown to save him. Then the men went as a group to King Darius and said to him, Remember, your majesty, that according to the law of the Medes and Persians, no decree or edict that the king issues can be changed. The edict came, Daniel, you must not pray to the living God. You must pray only to Darius. Daniel had to decide what to do. Should he abstain, abstain sorry, from, from his practice for just a month, 30 days? Maybe the lunar cycle, 28 days. If he just ducked down, stayed quiet, stepped out of the light for four weeks, he'd be able to dodge the bullet. And yet he goes upstairs and he, to his room, the, the window faces Jerusalem and prays for three times, three times a day. He could have shut the window. He could have prayed secretly, quietly, out of sight. And yet he doesn't. His loyalty to the Lord comes first. He would have saved his life. And yet, as he kneels and prays to the living God, remembering the covenant, remembering Jerusalem, I think that's what the sense is about. God is the covenant-keeping God. And how could he deny the one who has been with him all his life, the one who has rescued him, the one who's given him purpose and meaning, and never let him down? How could he deny the living God at that moment? And so he follows the usual practice. He flings open the windows and prays in the sight of all who would see. I think one of the key things is in this story to hold on to is the importance of praying. Someone wrote this, a daily relationship with God in prayer helps us not to confuse our will with his. Any person, in public life or not, who thinks they can go it alone is tragically mistaken. 
No one has enough love, enough concern, enough humility, enough strength, enough courage. In an individual's friendship with God, there comes each day the humility of having fallen short, the joy of being forgiven, and the strength of being renewed. That wasn't written by a preacher, but by Senator Mark Hatfield in the midpoint of his career. Praying is so, so vital. Charles Spurgeon said, I could soonest think of living without eating or living without breathing as living without prayer. Robert Murray McChain, what a man is on his knees before God, that he is and nothing more. Daniel has so much to help us in this. So Daniel learned of the decree outlawing his prayers, that they'd been published and came with such a severe sanction. And yet he prayed. Prayer was his regular habit. He got down on his knees three times in the day, punctuating his life, recognizing his dependence, orientating his whole being to God. How's your prayer life? This isn't a guilt-inducing, this isn't a kind of saying, oh, you must do better and kind of grinding you down. But just that challenge and the example and the inspiration from Daniel to be lifted up, to try again, to, to resolve afresh, to give it a go. Even just for a few minutes, just set in a timer, an alarm on your phone or device or, or, or resolve just in those key moments when you know you have space in your life and routine to dedicate that afresh to God and orientate yourself to him. Whether it's on your knees or standing or walking, it doesn't really matter. Pray. Jesus fell on his face to pray. It's a good posture, but not the only one. But pray. Pray if there's problems. Pray if you're desiring God to encounter him afresh. Pray for our nation. Pray for our church and fellowship. Pray. Looking, as Daniel did metaphorically, as he did to Jerusalem, to the covenant keeping, the faithful one who will never let us down. The Psalms help me so often. In Psalms 42 and 43, actually, they kind of form a piece together. The Psalm... Um, It starts with, my tears have been my food day and night. He asks himself, why are you so downcast, O my soul? Why disturbed within me? But then, as he lays out that which is on his heart, his worries and his anxieties, he says in verse 5, put your hope in God. That's the key. Put your hope in God. Look beyond the gloom with the eyes of faith and saying, God is here. God will turn it for good. Yet I will praise my God and my Savior. Praise comes as a result of this battle. Praise comes when we contend, as we see in Daniel, faced with kind of a bleak prospect. He will not deviate or turn, and he will give thanks nevertheless. I know these difficult days, These long days, these days where it seems gloom is gathering. Let's pray and contend. Bring our burdens to God. He does so in in verse 11. The men went up and found Daniel praying and asking God for help. As we're under pressure, it's the best thing we can do. Ask God for help. Maybe even to kneel 
Help me, Lord. Prayers on the run, arrow prayers, flash prayers, prayers you set aside 10 minutes, 5 minutes, 20 minutes, half an hour if you can. Don't lay a burden on you, but ask you to try. And the promise of God in James 4, 8, come near to God and he will come near to you. That's a promise, you know. Daniel, in the midst of crisis, gives thanks, verse 10. He's giving thanks, knowing he's walking into a trap. Knowing that the, the jaws, the, uh, the, the big trap that has been laid for him will close around him. And yet he remains with integrity and faithfulness. And praises God. Philippians 4. Don't be anxious about anything. But in everything by prayer and petition. With thanksgiving. Present your requests to God. 1 Peter 5, 7. Cast all your anxiety on him. For he cares for you. The problem may not be over. But I know the Lord will help us through it. Daniel with integrity and uprightness. Daniel in his prayerfulness. But his journey leads to the lions. So the king gave the order. And they brought Daniel and threw him into the lion's den. The king said to Daniel, May your God, whom you serve continually, rescue you. A stone was brought and placed over the mouth of the den. And the king sealed it with his own signet ring and with the rings of his nobles. So that Daniel's situation might not be changed. Then the king returned to his palace and spent the night without eating and without any entertainment being brought to him, and he could not sleep. At the first light of dawn, the king got up and hurried to the lion's den. When he came near the den, he called to Daniel in an anguished voice, Daniel, servant of the living God, has your God, whom you serve continually, been able to rescue you from the lions? Daniel answered, May the king live forever. God, my God, sent his angel and he shut the mouths of the lions. They have not hurt me because I was found innocent in his sight, nor have I ever done any wrong before you, your majesty. The king was overjoyed and gave orders to lift Daniel out of the den. And when Daniel was lifted from the den, no wound was found on him because he had trusted in his God. At the king's command, the men who had falsely accused Daniel were brought in and thrown into the lion's den, along with their wives and children. And before they reached the floor of the den, the lions overpowered them and crushed all their bones. Then King Darius wrote to all the nations and peoples of every language in all the earth. May you prosper greatly. I issue a decree that in every part of my kingdom, people must fear and reverence the God of Daniel. For he is the living God, and he endures forever. His kingdom will not be destroyed, and his dominion will never end. He rescues and he saves. 
He performs signs and wonders in heaven and on earth. He has rescued Daniel from the power of the lions. So, Daniel prospered during the reign of Darius and the reign of Cyrus the Persian. As I read this story, see the amazing God at work. Have your faith lifted and your hope stirred in what is possible for God. But also think, what does this story sound like? Is it familiar? You know, there's certain passages of the scripture that are just deeply encouraging and wonderful, and this is one of them. Not only because the story is amazing, some great miracles, as uh, Philip declared a couple of weeks ago when we, we heard the story of the fiery furnace, but... There are some parts of scripture that kind of like the veil is really thin. You can read them and kind of see, I understand what this is a type, a shadow looking forward for. You see, as I was reading this and thinking about this, my goodness, doesn't it represent and tell and declare about another time that someone was placed into the tomb. But in that other story, In that other story, the story is more severe and harsh. It isn't that a living person is thrown into the den, but the dead Jesus, who was given the option of recanting again and again in the Garden of Gethsemane. uh, Jesus was praying, not my will, but yours be done. He was praying. He was praying as a man of integrity for whom they could find no fault. And yet he knew the way he was walking would lead to difficulty. He was the courageous one who stood out above all. Yet not my will, but yours be done. And as they arrested him and beat him and tortured him and said, who are you? Who are you? They could find no fault. But the fact that he remained true to his father, they accused him of blasphemy, though he was without fault. And as he was declared guilty his punishment to be crucified he was killed and the lifeless body was thrown into the den into the tomb and the stone rolled across it and the seal made and those who arranged against Daniel and those who arranged against Jesus thought we've won our power is stronger through deception and and falsehood, through scheming, through jealousy, through wanting to get rid of the bright shining light because it exposed darkness. It seemed they'd won. And Darius goes to the tomb in the morning, in the first light, and says, are you there? And Daniel answered, my God, shut the mouths of the lions. They have not hurt me because I was found innocent in his sight. And he comes out unmarked. And yet the story that this heralds points towards, Jesus bursts forth from the tomb, his body alive resurrected, conquered death. 
And this story points to a greater, the bigger, the most marvellous. Daniel came out entirely untainted, without a scratch. His friends that he'd journeyed with in life came out of the fiery furnace and they didn't smell of smoke. Jesus comes out of the tomb with scars visible in his side, in his hands. He still bears as the lamb that was slain the marks of his suffering. We see in this great act that Darius entirely got right that Jesus saves. God saves, God rescues. And we see in this story and the story that it speaks of, the greater, that the rescue is costly. That Jesus bears and carries in himself in eternity as the only begotten son, the cost of rescue. Courageous living. As we take the next steps as a church, as you, in your life, wherever that happens to be, whatever's going on right now, whatever is difficult, unjustly or under the circumstances of this day, I pray that you would make it that decision, that choice to live with integrity, of not compromising, of not thinking, oh, I'll just put things on the side for a time, no one will notice. Stand out. And I encourage and urge myself and, and us as a family of faith, let's stand out in prayer, even just a little bit more, to contend for each other, to pray for each other, for our nation, for our world, to plead, to cry out to God, let's stand out. Let's not give up, even when it's difficult and it seems that our prayers are doing nothing. Persevere. Be courageous. Stand out. And know that God is sovereign. He rescues and saves. Stand out in the depth and the breadth of your conviction that he reigns. He's the living God and he endures forever. His kingdom will not be destroyed and his dominion will never end. He rescues and he saves. He performs signs and wonders in the heavens and on the earth. He has rescued Daniel from the power of the, red, of the lions. We look to a greater Daniel, to Jesus, who rescues us from death and from sin and restores us in the very heart of God. May that give you some courage in your living.